Tonight I want to do a continuation of a series that I started a few weeks ago on principles of prosperity. I'm reading from the first verse of chapter 9, 2 Corinthians. I saw this week in the paper about a uh, man who had been conned by a preacher who had been conned by his associate. And um, he said he can quote more Bible than uh, I can quote. And a favorite saying he was always saying was, Give and it shall be given unto you. And I read that and I thought, you know, that the, probably the average person that sits out in a congregation on Sunday morning or Sunday night and hears the average preacher quoting passages like, Give and it shall be given unto you. So bountifully and reap bountifully, so sparingly and reap sparingly, I, I imagine that those people, the majority of them, are thinking, that's another con. That's another con artist trying to convince me to do something that I don't want to do. I just kind of have that feeling a lot of times. Because there are a lot of things in the Scripture that we can accept, and there are a lot of things that we have a problem, difficulty accepting. And the principles of prosperity, as God has outlined them, are difficult to accept because they go against the grain of everything that we have always learned with regard to giving and receiving and regard to personal finance. But this is God's Word. This is, what, this is not what God would say to us if He were here. This is what God is saying to us because he is here. And you read along with me and I'll read aloud. For it is superfluous for me to write to you about this ministry to the saints. For I know your readiness of which I boast about you in Macedonia, to the Macedonians, namely that Achaia has been prepared since last year and your zeal has stirred up most of them. Now these people had a gift that they wanted to give, and they'd been waiting a year to get to do it, and they were just dying to do it. But I have sent the brethren that our boasting about you may not be made empty in this case, that as I was saying, you may be prepared, lest if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to speak of you, should be put to shame by this confidence. So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead to you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift, that the same might be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. Now this I say, and this is the text, he who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully shall also reap bountifully. Let each one do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. 
And God is able to make all grace abound to you that always having all sufficiency in everything you may have an abundance for every good deed. Now let me, by way of uh, review, point out some things that we've already discussed. One is that God wants to bless us. Where did we ever get the idea that, that God does not want us to be prosperous? Where did we ever get the idea that God does not want to bless us? God wants to bless us. He wants us to be successful. He wants us to prosper. God wants to bear witness to an unbelieving world that He is able and sufficient to abound unto us in every good thing. God wants us to be an example of His grace and His goodness to the world. God wants us to prosper. One of the greatest tests of the Christian life is to live in a world that thinks and acts one way and, and at the same time live and think and act another way. One of the greatest tests of the Christian life is to live in a world that is commissioned to think and act one way and the Christian to think and act a totally opposite or different way. For example, the whole system as it is arranged in our world is based on this, is based like this. You get all you can get, you make all you can make, you save all you can save, you invest all you can invest. That's the way you live. And if you want to be prosperous, if you want to be successful, you get all you can get, you make all you can make, you save what you can save, and you wisely invest what you can invest. But the Christian comes to God's Word and he discovers this phenomenal paradox that the way God would have us live and be successful and be prosperous is to give all that we have, is to give. And the law of the harvest is this. You sow bountifully and you reap bountifully. You sow sparingly and you reap sparingly. Now that law is so wide a circle, involves so wide a circle that it touches every area of our life. It does not just affect money. It affects time and it affects respect and it... Re and it and it affects love, and it affects energy, and it affects concern. So that if a person will, if he sows bountifully in the, in the area of service or time or energy or concern or love, what he can expect in return is a bountiful supply of the thing that he has sown. And that law tonight is, is in effect in your life right now. Whether you like it or not, whether you, whether you agree with it or not, it's at work in your life right now. 
If, you, if in your life you are sowing sparingly of money and time and love and concern and respect and energy, you're going to reap that kind of harvest. And if you're sowing bountifully in these areas, the law is at work and you can expect, you can claim a bountiful harvest for it is coming. Now I'm hopeful that what we experience at First Baptist Church, and I want to maybe just kind of withdraw from you personally in your own personal life and just talk just for a minute about this church. My hope for this church is that we can, we will receive a bountiful harvest of respect and concern and success and prosperity. And it is a conviction of mine that that harvest that shall be reaped will only come about, will only come to pass as you and I as a church begin to sow bountifully. The more you and I will become concerned, the more we give of our time, the time that's very precious to us, the more we give of our love to others, the more we pour our lives into the needs of others, the more we give financially, the more this church is going to prosper in abundance in every one of these areas. Now I want to look at this text tonight in three, in light of three aspects. Number one, I want us to look at the principle that is involved. Now, the Apostle Paul uses the word give and sow interchangeably so that when he's talking about sowing, he's talking about giving. And if and as he talks about giving, he's talking about sowing so that as we're sowing, we're giving. As we're sowing, we're giving it away. Now, a farmer knows in order to reach a harvest or to reap a harvest, he has one thing that he has to do with his seed. Jack Taylor said he can take that seed and he can shine it or enshrine it. He can hallow it or hoard it. He can put it on the mantle as a, as a, as a um, uh, conversation piece. He can put it in a necklace, on a necklace and wear it around the neck. He can do a lot of things with that seed, but if he ever expects a harvest from that seed, the one thing he's going to have to do with it is to give it away, is to bury it in the ground, is to plant it. For the law, the principle of the harvest is that if you're going to get something in return, you're going to have to give it first. And this is the strange paradox. This is the unbelievable thing. That which I keep, I give away. And that which I, which I keep, that which I give away, I keep. And that which I keep, I lose. Strange paradox, isn't it? Growing up on a farm, I had to do some responsibilities. I had to, I had to plant, for example. And... Uh, on a cotton farm, planting cotton with a four-row uh, planter. And it'd be a lot of times, you know, I'd be planting and you had to, not only could you, did you have to keep it on the row and keep everything straight down the line, but you had to watch the, uh, uh, the seed boxes back there to see if they didn't, 
see that they didn't get stopped up. The only way you would know if those seed boxes got stopped up was just constantly keeping a check on the seed that was dropping down the little cylinder into the, into the furrow that was being made there. And occasionally, so many things were going on at so many times, you know, that seed box would get stopped up and uh, there'd be long skips in which no seed was planted. Now, nobody knows that, you see, but, uh, but me. Dad's not around, and, uh, and, and I, I know it, but nobody else does because the fur is covered up just like the seed was underneath, and the, and the dirt's there. Everything looks exactly, one row looks exactly like the other. Nobody knows that the seed hasn't been planted except me. But it doesn't take long for everybody to know that. Because when that seed begins to germinate, it begins to pop above the ground and the plant begins to come out above the ground. And then everybody who passes by, father and neighbors and everybody else, can see the skip in the row and know that the seed was not planted. Folks, if nobody is being baptized in the baptistry of this church, if people are walking, not walking down the aisles of this church every Sunday professing their faith in Jesus Christ or committing themselves to their lives to Him or uniting with this church, if the problems of this church are financial, if the problems of any church are that people are not responding and the church is not growing, the reason for that is, and you can name all kinds of things as you walk, and you can say, well, the buck stops at the pastor, and you can blame him if you wish. If that's, your, that's your privilege. But the truth of the matter is, if there's not a harvest going on in the church, it's because the people are not planting. And if people are not being saved in the First Baptist Church, it's because you and I are not spreading the gospel to the lost. And if people are not coming into the Sunday school classes of the church and are not growing, it's because you and I are not planting. If there's not growth, it's because there has been no seed planted. For I promise you this, the principle of the harvest is that if you begin to sow and you sow bountifully, we'll begin to reap a bountiful harvest. Now, it somewhat disturbs me or concerns me on Monday night when three people come to visit. Folks, that just won't get the job done. It concerns me a little bit, burdens me a lot, that we come on Sunday morning with the expectation of a harvest when there has been no seed planted and no cultivating done. The principle is that the more you sow and the more you give of your time and energy and money and resources, the more God's going to bless us. Do you want God to bless us? Do you? Shake your head up and down like this. Do you really want that? Do you want a growing church? Do you want to reach the people of our community? Do you really? Do you want to claim southeastern state, Oklahoma State, college campus? You know why we're seeing the results that we're seeing 
in the college and, and, and international community. You know why? Because there's where the seeds are being planted right now, and there's where the, there's where the work the, uh, is being done, concentrated. And I guarantee it. I believe it with all my heart that if we poured our time and energy, oh, you say, I don't have it. Oh, listen, that's the same principle applies. Watch this. You say, I just don't have the time to do it. I've got too much to do. I've got too many demands on my life. We've already learned that if you don't have time to do it, the way to get time is to give what time you have away. You don't believe that, do you? I hope you will. The principle. Now notice the plan. The plan involves four things in the text. Two of them are positive and two of them are negative. If I'm going to sow bountifully, I've got to, I, I, I need to see the plan. What's the game plan? The first is that I'm to do it with purpose. As he has purposed in his heart. Now, there are two things said in that one phrase. As he has purposed in his heart. The first is that what you and I do as a church or as an individual in the sowing and reaping must be done according to purpose. It must be done on purpose. Whose purpose? God's purpose. As he has purpose, as he has discovered in his heart the purpose. Now here's where the, here's where the water hits the wheel. Here's where the, the fur is rubbed is how do you determine God's purpose for the church or for your life? Let me give you a clue. Don't look at the world to get your sense of direction. Don't look at the world to get your sense of direction. Now watch this. If we look at the world to get our sense of direction concerning building a new church building, we'd not build today for sure because the, the world's direction at this point in time is interest rates are too high and inflation is too great. Don't do anything right now. Don't look to the world to get your sense of direction for the direction that the world gives is anti divine how do you determine what god wants for the church did you notice in the uh, uh well you don't get the baptist standard i still think i'm in texas but in the baptist standard this week there was an article about the from the first baptist church in houston texas now john bassanio y'all are familiar with that name he's up in dale city for a long time john bassanio went to houston and he said, and he took a First Baptist Church of Houston, and it was, it, was a, it was a tomb. It had already died. He said he went one Wednesday night on purpose on Wednesday night just to see what it was like unannounced as he was considering that church. And he was at Dell City. They were running 1,500 at the time. He said there were seven people there. And it was Christmas time. And he said across the street in the department stores, everybody was singing and ringing bells and and. and, and and the Christmas spirit was going on, and seven folks in this humongous First Baptist Church, Houston, were in there singing some dull, dead song, you know, on Wednesday evening. 
And he took that church, not, you know, the sense of direction of the world is, you're stupid for going there. You know, you'd be crazy to take that situation. And he went in there and he, and he, and he operated on the faith principle and he poured his life into that thing. And, and, and John Massani will tell you that he has the gift of faith and he must because he took on some responsibilities there and he led those people do some things that would, that would sink the Titanic, literally. But what do you have to lose? You know, seven folks on Wednesday night. And they've just moved out into the growing section of Houston a few months ago and got into a multi-million dollar building program. And it's all, by the time they opened the doors of that thing, it was already too small. The time for the next two years, a two times two responsibility that they'd give twice their tithe for the next two years and he's leading them into a $4 million building expansion program on the top of the multi-million dollar expansion program. And you know what's going to happen down there? They're going to sink and go broke. No, they won't. They're winning Houston. And people are coming as far away as Pasadena and Seguin just to go to that church dynamically involved in the work of God, living on the faith principle, believing that as they sow bountifully, God will give a bountiful harvest. And I think I read just the other day that in the last 18 months, the smallest number of people they've had saved on Sunday morning was 20. on purpose. What is God's purpose for this church? I think that's the big, the big thing. On our knees in these next few weeks, on our knees in these next few months, I challenge you, I call you, let's find the faith and the mind of God for First Baptist Church. And regardless of what that seems in the eyes of the secular community, let's launch out in faith claiming that God's going to do a miracle in our midst. Amen to that? A few little measly amens I hear. On purpose, from the heart. Listen to me. I'm having a little fun with you. Now, I know i got to hurry and quit. On purpose, he said, purpose in his heart. For I'm convinced that the sowing of life must proceed from the heart. May I say this with all the love that I have. If there is a problem with sowing in your life, it's a heart problem, a spiritual problem. Secondly, he says, don't give grudgingly. That, that's the picture of one who just, if he feels like that, that he has a responsibility to God to give $9.99, he wouldn't give $10 to save his neck. He'd give $9.99. Can you imagine two, two spigots, two valves? Can you imagine those, one here and one here? Can you see that in your mind? This valve here, when it is opened, in, in, enables this valve over here to open. When this valve is wide open, this valve will be wide open. When this valve is almost closed, this valve will almost close. For this valve affects this valve or relate, relates to it. 
Now, this valve represents your sowing and mine, and this valve here represents God's gracious giving. And what this says, what this text says, I don't know how it relates, I don't know how it fits theologically, the whole scheme, but I know what this text says. It says, that as a man opens up the valve and pours out his sowing, his giving, that frees God to pour out his blessing upon that man. And if he wants to choke down God's giving, God's blessing in his life, all he has to do is to stop giving, and that valve is choked down. Not grudgingly. Then he says, not out of necessity, that's pressurized giving. That means giving because I have to. Folks, listen to what I, listen to what I must say. Don't you give because God is broke or his church is broke. You give because you are broke. God is not broke. He call up. He can make generations out of stone. Pressurized giving is giving to pay. I'm going to preach a sermon. I don't know when. If I if I uh, survive after this sermon, I, I may preach it next week. But I <laughs> I'm going to preach a sermon uh, on. Giving is not to pay, but to prove. When you give, you're not paying anybody anything. That's pressurized giving. Now notice, give hilariously. Give cheerfully. Hilariously. Electrifying enthusiasm. Like a little child who, you know, who, has, who wants to get the money so they can put it in the offering plate enthusiastic, electrifying giving. Now, now, Jack Taylor says there are some problems which prevent hilarious giving. One of them is giving as one can afford it. If you give when you can afford it, you're not giving that which makes a demand on God's ability. You're giving, on that, giving out of that which makes a demand on your ability. Another problem that affects hilarious giving is giving according to need. When they have a need down there, I'll come through. And another problem that, that prevents hilarious giving is giving on emotional impulse. When I feel like it, when I like the preacher, when they're doing what I think they ought to be doing down at the church. Give hilariously. It ought to be the most exciting thing in the world to any of us to be able to give to God for what God has given us. Now, that's the plan. I'll hurry to finish with the promise. Now, the promise is fantastic, and I just want to let you look at it. I want you to see it. Number one, it says that God is able to make all grace abound to you. Can you turn back over to the book of Daniel? I, I meant to find that so I could just flip quickly. Would you look at the book of Daniel, chapter 6? 
I want to show you something in there. The book of Daniel, chapter 6. Beginning at verse 18, and you know the story, Daniel cast into the lion's den. Look at this. Then the king went off to his palace and spent the night fasting, and no entertainment was brought to, before him, and sleep fled for him, from him. He couldn't sleep. He liked Daniel. Then the king arose with the dawn at the break of day, and went in haste to the lion's den. He expected Daniel just to be just, you know, just a, just a red blob there. And when he had come near the den to Daniel, he cried out with a troubled voice. The king and spoke and said to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God. I like that, don't you? Daniel, Servant of the living God, has your God, whom you constantly serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? Is your God able? Then Daniel spoke to the king. My God sent his angel. As a, man, you woke me up. I've been sleeping like a baby all night. Why did you come and wake me up so early? For my God shut the lion's mouth, and they've not harmed me, etc. Oh, folks, listen, listen to this. Hear me, please. I want so very much in my life, my personal life, and in the life of the church that I pastor, I want this to happen. I want the unbelieving world out there to stand on the, on the lip of the den, lion's den, and I want them to ask us, is your God able? And I want us to be able to look back at them and say, our God is able to do miracles. And I want us to have something to prove. Now look at this text. Back to the text. And God is able. Now it didn't say God would. It said God is able to make all grace abound to you. Now you've got to look at that word. We know what the word grace means. We want to look at the word abound. It's the word that means like a torrent, like a flood. And, and it's the picture of what happens when the dike breaks, when the dam collapses, and the reservoir of water just comes sweeping down the valley just like a, like a, like a flood. And the text says that God is able just to send in your direction a Flood of God's grace. Isn't that beautiful? I don't know whether you're excited about it, but that looks pretty good to me. That you, that to you, that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have 
adequately know you may have abundance for every good deed. Now, this is God's promise, not mine. That if we begin to so bountifully trusting God and we do it hilariously, excitedly, enthusiastically, faithfully, and we do it with purpose, that is God's purpose, and it's a purpose to meet people's needs and minister to an unbelieving world and witness to an unbelieving world. God promises that he will make us have an abundance of everything we need to accomplish that. So that if we decide and we determine that we're going to minister to this world, we're going to reach that campus, we're going to claim the single adults who are out there with those wounds that are hurting, we're going to see people come and be saved and we're going to expand the facilities and we're going to add the staff and we're going to extend the program in order to do it and we're doing it under the direction and for the purpose of ministering under God's will, then we can claim the promise that he's going to meet adequately, no, abundantly, every need we have to accomplish that. So that budget you had in your hand this morning it looks like a tiger, you know, looks like a mountain to climb. Folks, that, that's just a step. That's just a step. I believe it. I believe this. A few weeks ago, as I was in my quiet time, ministering over this, meditating, thinking about it, God communicated to my spirit, and that don't happen too often because I've got a cold heart. But God communicated and ministered to my spirit and said to my heart, not audibly, I didn't hear any lights, didn't see any flashes, didn't see any signs on the wall, but God communicated to my spirit, to my heart, and this was his message to my heart. Girl, this is my will for our church, and I'm going to see that we have adequate resources to accomplish. Now, I'm asking you to believe that with me. If you don't, then I'm in trouble. I better, you know, I've got to look somewhere else. I've got to find something else to do. Because I believe it was God's witness to my spirit. And I believe this, that if we will commit ourselves to sacrificial sowing, that God is going to send a flood tide into our midst. And it's almost frightening to think about it, really. I'm praying that'll happen now. I'm excited about it. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to the day when I walk down the, the street of Durant, Oklahoma, when the people are going to come up to me and they're going to say, day and night, they're going to come to me and say, I'm hearing about the flood of God's blessing upon your church. And I'm seeing it in the lives of the people of our community. And I don't understand it. And maybe you can explain it. But I hear that something going on down there is likened to Pentecost. 
Would you bow your head with me? I'm going to lead us in prayer. And then I will offer, no, I will just make available, God offers, our invitation. The opportunity for you to come forward to say, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. He who loses his life shall find it. He who keeps and finds his life shall lose it. Maybe there are those who need to come tonight to say, I want to commit my life in a new commitment of sowing, giving. There may be some who would come to say, I want to place my life here in service in First Baptist Church. This is an exciting place, and I want to be here when God pours out his blessing upon us. Heavenly Father, I trust that there has been enough sowing and time and preparation, prayer, spiritual awareness gone into this sermon that you can bless it. And I trust that people have prayed for this night sufficiently and adequately so that you can bless us now, this invitation. And I pray, Father, there's been enough sowing and enough sharing and enough witnessing that would enable us to see the harvest in this invitation of some unsaved man or woman or child. Lord, we don't expect, we don't anticipate people being saved if we haven't sown the seed and spread the gospel, haven't prayed. And so I trust, Father, you'll give us evidence tonight of what has been done before this moment. And I pray for the decision that one of us or two of us must make right now. She'll guide in it and lead in it. And that your will shall be done because that's what we want. In Jesus' name. Now in the spirit of prayer, I'll ask you to stand and I'll ask you to come as we sing this invitation. You stand, sing it with us. You come as God leads you.